Hey everyone, welcome to tonight's late night happy hour. Brian Kamenetsky and Andy Kamenetsky joined by, uh, this is going to be fun. I'm very excited about this one. He's very active on Lakers Twitter, so a lot of you guys know him. Uh, he's also happens to be ESPN, a, a social media specialist at ESPN. So he he knows all about like memes and stuff, things the kids are doing, Andy. And he's the perfect guest for Thursday night hoodie night. It was hoodie night, and right. we, we knew that Grant Goldberg would be perfect exactly for hoodie night. Grant hoodie Goldberg up. joining us. How you doing, man? I, I'm doing well. You know, I, I'm glad I got to come on following a Lakers win uh, and not a loss because I feel like yeah, the energy is going to be way up, and you know, I, I won't be so doom and gloom. You know, the last show we did after a Laker game was after the Warriors loss, and Brian and I were both like, I kind of I'm confused about how to talk about this because they don't yeah. lose often and they don't lose often to teams that you really you really have a hard time picturing them losing to. So the, it, it yeah. really began. It wasn't even so much a down note or down energy. It's just like confusion. So like, I don't know what to do with this. And then and then great. You get in that space like, well, am I supposed to be angry about this? Like, am I supposed <laughs> to be like worried? Like it's their fourth loss of the year. But how yeah, but like people freak out. Yeah, like I would say the sky starts falling, um, especially like when it when it sets in that the game is not winnable anymore, and then the takes start coming down, and people start talking amongst each other and just saying, "Oh well, you know, are they the same team?" Stuff like that. But I'm glad I'm glad they bounced back as they usually do following a loss. Um, so tonight, you know, the marquee game uh, in the NBA was the Lakers against the Bucs uh, in Milwaukee. The, both teams coming off um, pretty high-profile and disappointing losses, but the Lakers win tonight 113-106. to I this I The whole time I'm watching this game, I'm like, this is the strangest game I think I've seen all season. The Lakers in the first half couldn't get into the paint. Milwaukee was just you know dominating down. The Lakers had no first break, fast break points. Milwaukee up and down the floor. Meanwhile, the Lakers were sticking in it by not turning the ball over bombing three-pointers with incredible accuracy and being really good at the free-throw line. I'm like, I don't know who this team is. I've never seen this before. Yeah. No, that was the thing to me is the whole theme last year was the team winning despite shooting terribly from three. And then when they start making shots, they look like the Avengers. And so uh, <laughs> we, we luckily, like, the, the team shot super well, like, the whole year. But we saw more of that tonight. And, and KCP, I think, has been just so rock-solid um he made a bunch of threes tonight i think six or seven so um like i i tweeted this today i said you know what like more than like being excited i'm happy for kcp when yeah he makes I, I i actually have that tweet like you 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 mentioned it, and this is so true i think for so many people like they get genuinely happy when kcp makes shots like exactly. this is you that's 548 yeah, I can I can confirm that. Um, that's not Photoshop. Um, me being so uh, well versed in it. Um, no, I I just I get so excited because you know Lakers fans are so passionate and they get so up and down, especially concerning certain players like Danny Green knows what I'm talking about, and and KCP certainly too. So um, like I'm happy to see it go in for him, just because like when the shots start going in, it seems like with him he gets in a rhythm. They they start falling in falling in at like a high clip. So. Um, you know, it, it, it's just good to see, I mean, it, it's winning basketball, but like on a personal storyline, it's just, it's, I'm happy for him more than anything. 
Yeah, actually, Frank Vogel talked about that after the game because a, a lot of people were asking either Frank or other players about KCP tonight. And, and he said that it's a really rewarding aspect of coaching for him. Like the experience that he's had with KCP going back to last year where, I mean, it's funny, he did get off to a bad offensive start, but it became easy to forget that it was two games. Like he was yep. 0 for 9 to begin, which is a really stark beginning to the season when you can't literally cannot make a shot. Like it's not a, it's not a cliche. Kelly Oubre would like a word with you. Right. I mean, it, it, but it was also two games yeah. and then he started getting back into it and it was fine. But for those two games combined with what we'd seen a lot from KCP, the previous couple seasons where he's so all over the place yeah, and like, you know, he, his highs are, his highs can be awesome, but the lows were like the F man. But the guy really works hard. And, and yeah. last year we saw in the locker room, like Dwight Howard, a lot of his teammates going out of their way to take up for him. He's a popular guy in that locker room. And, and I think a lot of guys have really enjoyed seeing this experience, uh, Grant, of KCP just finding his own role and finding a way that he fits on this team. And I think actually now – exceeding the expectations anybody had for him. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I think, um, like, it was especially true uh, in the playoff run last year where, you know, you saw different guys buy in on different nights. But um, for the most part, he was very consistent for the Lakers. And he hit big shots. I think it was game four of the finals where, like, that was the KCP game. And um, he came through big. And you see the reaction. I mean, the bench – um, I mean, last year and this year, but um, they got so excited. I mean, they're so excited for every play, every dunk, every fast break opportunity. But KCP puts up a shot and you see guys start to throw up their arms and, and throw up threes and get so excited for him. And, you know, it's funny that you say, you know, he tries so hard and sometimes he's all over the place. But the thing that I always tell my friends and, and people I talk to about the Lakers is KCP is not going to have a bad game because of effort. He's always going to give 100%, always going to try hard on defense and 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 run literally all over the court, uh, making things happen. Alex Caruso, too. So, um, you know, th these guys are just like they're they're stars within their roles, I think, is what Frank Vogel said. And it's just so it's so great to see them be rewarded for their effort and see these shots start to fall for them consistently. What I think is is funny about this team, and it was true last year, and I think it's still true this year, is and why it must be really irritating for non-Lakers fans around the league because it's a it's a hard team to dislike. There aren't a lot like it's not filled with drama. I mean, you can I guess like how do you even dislike LeBron at 36 doing what he's doing? You know, Anthony Davis, the other star, basically has spent every post-game press conference he's had for the last two weeks going, Well, guys, I fucking suck like I, I am yeah. shit i am terrible um like how do you get mad at that and meanwhile you've got kcp and you've got alex caruso running around and who doesn't like marcus all like there's no drama frank vogel come on and so to have an actually likable lakers team is probably both weird for lakers fans but it must be horrible for non-lakers fans definitely um and i know that i'm gonna probably catch some heat on twitter for saying this but uh, sometimes I, I think about the same thing for the Boston Celtics. Like Jalen Brown is a guy that I really rally around. Um, Jalen Brown's great. He's on yeah. and off the court, just like 
so awesome. Um, and Jason Tatum, so fun to watch, like how he's expanding his game. St. Louis, years old. So he's from St. Louis, <laughs> yes, he is. Yeah, and like Kemba Walker is always smiling. Like you love Kemba Walker, so uh, it's Marcus like Smart is like one of the best role players in the exactly. league. I mean, like anybody who says they wouldn't want Marcus Smart on their team either doesn't watch or is lying their ass off, or yeah, just exactly. hates the Celtics that much that they won't admit it. You want yeah. that guy. Yeah, like a basketball fan, like, you know, you love to see the plays Marcus Smart makes. Like, it's like, honestly, it's, it's sort of an embodiment of, like, what KCP and Alex Grudo does and the fact that he just does everything the team asks for. And so, um, but yeah, there's, I mean, I, I love Marcus All just because of, like, he he's bought in totally. And, like, the Lakers did what they could to, like, accommodate him with the extra year on the contract, more money. And um, he's I, I think his impact on the team is, is really good because he obviously knows what it takes to win. And he does all the little things, the tip outs, um, showing AD a little bit more with the playmaking. And I think that is a little bit more um, why I'm forgiving with like the, the bad shooting streak is just because he's doing so many other things to affect the game. Um, like he had that one pass out of the post tonight to LeBron when he was cutting for that dunk. And I was like, you know what? He maybe might not make that play last year, and he might turn around and, and shoot a jumper. But you know, I'm I'm really excited to see you know where this team goes, like even a month from now, two months from now, just because this team like doesn't seem to have two bad games in a row, and more often than not, they're able to string together these like six, seven little mini win streaks. Not mini win streaks, so they're seven games. But um, you know, I, I think a big factor is like. The locker room and i think marcus all has done a good job to fit in pretty well mantras harrell even more um dennis schroeder commenting that's tough on literally every lakers instagram post so um now i'm, well, I'm glad that funny is like yeah. you can it feels right now like there's this unstated but clear uh thing right now with harrell and the rest of the guys who are still with the clippers basically trying to make it seem like well it wasn't me like, like, like Montrez Harrell is to his credit because he's playing really well, but you can see he is working really hard to fit in with this team and all yeah. the Clippers that are there now can't stop talking. And maybe it's sincere. It may be completely sincere about how everything's great in this locker room now. Like we're, you know, we're all playing for each other. Uh, Marcus Morris said like everybody talked about it and they, they, they squashed everything. Right, that BS is gone, Andy. It's gone. Right. Yeah. It's gone. And, <laughs> Both these things may be totally true, but it feels like every time one side talks, the other one has to make it more clear. No, it wasn't me. It was them. It was absolutely them. Yeah. You know, I, I just, yeah, go ahead. Or him, yeah. depending on which side. Yeah. It, it seems like it's one of those like mutual breakup things. Like it was just the best thing for both sides. And, you know, I, it, I mean, maybe for the Clippers and, you know, I don't know what's going on in the locker room. Like only a few a hand people, handful of people know, but um, like they know no, what, what not to do now. They know not what, what not to do. And like the guidelines of, okay, well we did this last year. This is not working out. What can we do to shake things up? And like, I'm glad that Montrez is like in this locker room now and that he seems like such a fun guy and he's fitting well, him and AD like go back and forth. And like that one mic'd up on Christmas with uh, the shoes Trez was wearing was hilarious. Oh, so God, it's amazing. just another thing. It, yeah, it's just another thing to like point to and be like, you know what? 
that really speaks to the the Lakers chemistry within the locker room to like lose some key guys and Danny Green and Dwight Howard and plug in these other guys and it's seemingly like a seamless fit. I I'm just excited because you know we we still have not gotten that hallway series that has been promised in one form or another for like a decade. And last year, even if it had, it wouldn't have been in the hallway this year. It's, and when they get there, they're all going to say, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's not a big deal. You know, it's, 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 it's about getting to the finals. It's about this, that, whatever, except for Trez. Trez is like, no, I I, fuck that. I don't like these people. Like I, I don't like them and I want to beat them badly. Like I am here for that. And I'm here it's, for all of those guys throwing shade at him too. It, it's sort of like when AD like had first game against the Pelicans, and you know we saw a bunch of early attempts from AD, like they were force feeding in the ball, and they were letting him get out that like frustration on the court, and like letting him play out that whole situation as a Laker against the Pelicans. I think we'll see, you know, knock on wood, if we get a series, um, sort of the same thing, and those guys rally around Trez and try to, you know, put him in the best positions to succeed. <laughs> it's uh, it's Bynum in 2010 heading yeah. into that finals. So with, with the, that year, the Lakers took out Denver before Boston had eventually taken out Orlando. So the Lakers are doing these practices and they're getting asked this same cliched boil, uh, boiler break question, you know, do you have a preference? Who would you rather play? Everybody like Kobe, Powell, Fish, you know, everybody's saying the company line, you know, we we don't care. You know, they're both really good teams. We're just focusing on ourselves. And then you get to Bynum, who, God bless him, had no filter whatsoever. And he's like, oh, we want to play Boston. We totally want to play those guys. Like, absolutely. And, we, and everybody knew. Like, everybody knew that's who they wanted to play. Like, I remember after they they won that series, Kobe doing his press conference is talking with all of us. He's like, yeah. You know, guys, honestly, like we, of course, we wanted to play Boston. I mean, like we really were like, really, Kobe? Wow. You, you yeah. had us going this whole time that you were totally indifferent as to whether or not you would play Orlando or the <laughs> Celtics, the team that just embarrassed you like a year right. ago, like a year, two years ago. Like, wow. I, you got, you guys were really convincing. We had no yeah, idea. Like, who would you rather play? The guys that you just like took care of in a light six games or, the guys that you know made a mockery. So uh, exactly. it's a little bit of a non-question there. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's it was such a dumb question that I I almost felt embarrassed for the people asking it. Yeah, and then Just, like and then at the end, Kobe's like, "Guys, I'm going to level with you." Yeah, we really wanted the. Might not see this coming. <laughs> what? <laughs> Get the fuck out! No, really. Such incredible acting. Um, yeah, uh, I, Caruso tonight, I, I asked him about they, – they did a really good job tonight with Giannis, I thought, in particular keeping him off the line. Like they contained him reasonably well, I think in general, for what you can do for a guy like Giannis. But keeping him off the line is huge. And yeah. the res- when I asked him about how sort of how you go about doing that, his response I thought was an interesting combination of – like basketball wonkery, but also like a, a good look, like 5,000 foot view of this team. And he just said, it's just trying to be really disciplined. You know, a lot of times in the league, guys can create contact and the response of the defense is to be physical back and you that can create fouls. And Giannis plays such a physical game when he's driving that a lot of times you've just got to stand your ground, not use your arms. A lot of it comes from help side guys. 
I know a lot of times in the first half, we force them in turnovers by having the nearest guy loaded to the ball and showing a presence and not letting him go one-on-one because it's a handful if you let him go one-on-one. But yeah, I think it's just the discipline. And it really speaks to these guys in terms of their overall potential. When they play disciplined, they don't even have to play at their best. When they're just focused enough and just not doing things that get in the way of themselves, they are really hard to beat. They're not going to lose often. No, I, I 100% agree. And and you said it after you said the point about discipline, but it's that focus and like that effort and making sure that the effort that you do put in is like focused into like one singular thing. And that focus defensively, you lock in. Um, like I, I've seen like multiple things, you know, on Twitter, you know, basketball conversations of like, when the Lakers lock in defensively, like that's among the scariest sites in basketball opponent. Um, Cause they have so much length. Um, they're so disciplined. They switch everything and they have, a, they have five guys on the floor that are just going to compete. And so um, the biggest thing too is, is I, I feel like Caruso is a big, a big example of that discipline and like making the right plays focus um, on what's in front of you. And especially with Giannis, you know, we even see when they are focused and, they're making the right plays like Schroeder. I think it was in the third or fourth quarter stepped up above the restricted area and tried to take a charge on Giannis, but got called for a blocking foul. And that was the second, uh, second blocking foul within like a few plays with Giannis. And so, you know, he's going to get his regardless, but I think the whole thing that you're alluding to is like not making it any easier for him and like taking away these free opportunities for points, because you know, that's how he's going to get uh, a lot of his, a lot of his points. And, make an impact on the game is is these drives and, and making contact, finishing through contact and ultimately finishing it through the free throw line. So um, I, I just love when these guys are so focused and aggressive defensively because it makes for these highlight showtime plays where the, they can get out on the break. They can you know throw their lobs. They can throw their well, I mean, LeBron can throw his full court outlet that passes. That pass to tonight was so stupid. Like, I just like <laughs> Come on. It was all it's and it wasn't even like I don't even think it was like the in the top five of his outlet passes this year. You know, yeah. the left-handed one that he like barely that was in his hand for like three seconds or the three tenths of a second yeah. that he threw left-handed full that I think was the best one. But like he does this routinely. It's amazing. Yeah, no, and, and Kyle Kuzma, you know, not for nothing. I feel like I'm at a high point this year with him. You know, he didn't have his best shooting night this no? this game but six, i think yeah. over the last you know five or six games he's shown a really good sample size of his shooting and you know it his form looks so clean to the point where i'm watching him shoot the ball and i'm like that looks like cash that looks like it's gonna go in and um you know he's trying he, like like we said like they're buying in they're they have effort defensively you know without that not talking about that golden state game especially in the second half but um Kyle Kuzma is like really trying um he's got a great effort and he's you know working his ass off on, on the that board. contract makes a big deal like you know he yeah. can go and have nights where he blocks a couple shots and uh you know it was two of six from the floor five rebounds two blocks five points very little sort of statistical production but like w- played some good minutes and I if he doesn't have this contract I don't know if he's comfortable having a night like this like he's, he's feeling like i need to get eight, 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 10, 12 shots up because that's how i'm gonna get paid well he already got paid so it's all good 
it, it's sort of that opposite. It's it's like the opposite of like the marquee. Like the guy's in a contract year. Of course, he's gonna play as well as he can to get that next contract. But with Kuz, you know, I would say like among anybody else in the NBA, he's the guy that's like his status with the team is up in the air. He doesn't know what's mm -hmm. gonna go on. You know, his name is floated in literally every trade rumor, legitimate or not, on Twitter or not. And um, I think that security brings a lot of like certainty to his role. And so that causes him to buy in and, and put in an effort every game and, and really feel like an established member of the team, even though he's one of the longest tenured Lakers, if not Tim and KCP. They're, yeah. they're the two longest. Technically, I think it's, I think, I think it may be Kuzma. Kuzma. He because was, because he was drafted. Yeah. But like Kuzma last year, I think really was working hard to buy in. I think he was working to do everything that was asked of him. It was obvious that he wasn't totally satisfied with his role, but I think he also was in ways that I think all of us, if we're being honest, would agree would be the same with them. I think he was worried about what does this role mean for my future in the league for, you know, the first big deal that I'm in place to get, you know, the, the type of foundation I'm setting up for myself. He's, what, 25, 26? I mean, he's still young, but he's not young, young. He's not NBA yeah. young. Members of his draft class, yeah. Right, right. So it's like, it's it's not him being selfish or immature or anything like that if he's concerned about the fallout with this. Like, you could tell, when he, when he would talk about his role, there would be a lot of, it is what it is. But he wasn't saying it with bitterness. It was just like, look, this is the situation. I'm being asked to do this. I'm really trying to do this. Yeah. But, you know, it's it would be unfair to ask him not to be concerned about how any of this would affect him long term. Like that that's just not fair. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think um it was especially true last year where like he'd have a good game but it's followed by, you know, two or three, you know, stinkers or like bad games and mm -hmm. you know it's harder not to live and die with every performance when your status with the team is up in the air like it was. And and so this contract, it grounds him and it it, it provides that stability. And um, it's okay to have a, like a poor shooting night like tonight, but you see he impacts the game in other areas and he shoot, he's shooting the ball well like through these last few games. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it's really nice to see um, like him get rewarded and him – like that contract already starting to pay it's off. It's another happy story. Like it's, this whole yeah. team is just filled with like happy stories. And I am I personally uh, am in a place where I am, I am no longer interested, not that I ever really was, I really was never this guy, much more interested in rooting for people's success than I am for failure, even though failure is a great driver of conversation. I, I, there got, there's got to be a better way to do it. Um <laughs> So the Lakers twelve and four now, eight and zero away from home. Started the road trip, great kickoff to that. We we'll probably maybe circle back to this game in a little bit. You, Grant, though, are famous, famous, I say, for uh, your jersey redesigns. And so we want to sprinkle some of these in throughout. Uh, we'll talk some memes, talk NBA social media, and all that. But I want to start with these because obviously, you know, like when you redesign a Lakers jersey, yeah, there's some pressure there. So this one, like, can you can like, what goes into making like kind of redoing this? Like, what did you do with the the? This is the you know the 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 classic home and, gold jersey. Explain by the way too, yeah. like, with redesigning it, 
what what that means in terms of is this your own reimagining of it? Is this something that you're actually doing with the teams? Like just so people understand what it is. Yeah, um, I think the the main thing that I have in mind when I go into like a jersey redesign or even like a refresh, which I'd more describe that Lakers jersey, just that example as a refresh because all I did was change the shade of gold or yellow in their case with the current uniforms. And like, I know that's like a particular gripe that the fan base has. And so, um, I mean, basically I'm, I'm catering to what the fan wants, but I'm also like staying true to myself and, um, in putting out something that I think looks good and I'm satisfied with, because like at the end of the day, if I don't like it, I'm not gonna you right. know, put it out there for everybody to see. So, um, no, I keep the, I keep the team in mind I keep what they've done, uh, currently and in the past in mind. And I try to work off of that and give something that's like more realistic, but also like something new, but also stays true to like what the team is. So okay. with the Lakers, you know, I, I did them last out of every team. I did them last because, you know, they've always had biased, but I think it's true. Like the best look in the NBA. And I, I think just such a classic look. So you don't want to do a bunch to like, tweak and, and alter that so i i really just wanted to like correct something that um that the fans would always talk about and and that was probably the biggest piece of feedback was like thank you for changing the shade just because right. um, as Nathan want- mark pointed out in the chat like the the ones right now are like they look like highlighters yeah it's not right um all right this one i mean that's awesome yeah now, that, that with what kind of classification like what category does that fit in Throwback, throwback. This is See, a throwback. I always, okay. I always try to work in a throwback or two, um, if I don't work off of like a, a certain throwback for inspiration, because like that's what teams like to see. Like I, I love to see the throwbacks on the court. Um, like I think it's a good, like, representation of the team's history, and like it's something different to see. But also, it's like I said, it's true to the team, and um, it's just it looks good. Like I think the Lakers have had a lot of good looks, so. Why not? What, bring what did back? you do with that one? What, what, what were the uh, adjustments, tweaks, things like that? No, I, I literally just uh, tried to bring it to life in like the new NBA, like Nike jersey, Nike look. That's why it has like the wish shopping on it. And, um, but yeah, like every like detail, whether it's like the side stripes or the collar, um, if it's a certain way before for the throwbacks, I, tr- I, I try to stay true to them. So I try to apply that to like the, the new modern NBA Jersey. All right. So you've done something with this one that I have to say, I do not, I am not a big fan of the movement towards including black and in everything. Um, I don't believe in it. Um, I, and I get the tie in when it comes to like the Kobe stuff and whatever, but you've done something here. You've managed to put black into a Jersey in a way that is awesome. That is a great Jersey. I would wear the hell out of that if I were the kind of person who was comfortable wearing a tank top, which I'm not. <laughs> um, this, you know, you you seem to have incorporated like the Kobe look with the 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 Sunday whites. Yeah. Can you See, make this a thing? Like, do you have that kind of authority? See, that's actually the whole reason why I agreed to come on the show tonight was to <laughs> whoever's listening to make that pitch to elevate my work. Now, um, I, I I tried to combine a few different things with that one and, and more than anything, um, flip the black Mamba uh, look to a white Mamba. Um, like I've seen 
like different jerseys that try to pay tribute to Kobe. So I didn't want to do anything that's too out of the out of like left field. So um, and I also wanted to pay tribute to uh, to Kobe and Gigi um, because you know I, I think what was most famous when when she was on the court was that white number two jersey. And so that was the the main focus there and in, incorporating like a gold look instead of more of a yellow shade and that Los Angeles to represent the city more than the team just because of how much Kobe meant right. to and, LA. And some of that throwback element too, you know, with the exactly. old, kind of the old script. Like right. that so is, make that into a t-shirt, man. I'd buy the hell out of that. I would love, I would love to see it. And, and on the collar too, I think is, is one of my favorite touches is the, the two, eight, 24 on it. Um, just a, another little tribute. Um, that's not, it's, it's more subtle than it's obvious. in the back for people who, yeah. for people who couldn't see it. It's a, it's at the back side of the journey. Me, the me scrolling my mouse over. It doesn't help, but all right. So now <laughs> on to the last one before we, we, we move on here every year, people who follow us on Twitter, uh, know that, the first time the Lakers wear the purple uniforms, I tweet out the following. The black side panels are an abomination every year. And every year, Dave McMenamin, your colleague at ESPN, like tweets back to me that I'm wrong and I have no taste in, in anything and I'm just a stupid person. You, Grant Goldberg. There's, there is some... Correct information in that, just so it's clear. Like it, the stupid Dave, person part for D sure. Dave's assessment isn't one hundred percent off, but he's like, dead wrong. He is I mean, dead wrong about free, the black if nothing side else. Panels. He is dead wrong about the side panels. And how do I know? Because Grant Goldberg, who has impeccable taste in jerseys, <laughs> Grant Goldberg, the guy who created this, that is a good look. No black side panels. Specifically, gets rid of the black side panels. Grant Goldberg is on Team Brian, and therefore Dave McManaman is wrong. And I appreciate you, sir, for pointing this out. I tried to I tried to write a wrong uh, when I did that jersey. <laughs> uh, no, not to upset anybody that worked on the jersey, because like I, I'll say before anything else when it comes to I mean, like design. Dave McManaman's about to at you, Grant. I'm just telling you that right now. <laughs> and I'll say this: I I, I think. Dave is a little less aware of us being colleagues than I'd be aware of us being colleagues. <laughs> but um, I, I would say the the hardest thing when it comes to designing jerseys is going out on a limb and doing something new and something different. And so if anything, I can respect it, even if it doesn't turn out to be the best thing in the world and people aren't fans of the side black side panels. And um, me, I just, I, uh, I cater to people and that's how I get the interactions I want now. Um, I, I, I really just do like the, the style of the current Lakers jerseys. I think I love the, the U shaped collar. I love yeah. the showtime elements. And so, um, I, I was, I was disappointed when they first debuted and I saw the black side panels because I would have liked to see the, the Jersey in this iteration. So, yes, um, hey, Sabrina Merchant. Uh, who we love, a, a frequent guest on the show, who has also been on Jeopardy and is therefore very smart, also agrees with me. Uh, it's now uh, three to one. The evidence is overwhelming. The evidence uh, is overwhelming, yes. Oh, I, look, I actually agree with you. I just don't care. Um, I'm not a big <laughs> uniform guy, but you're to they're unnecessary. Like, I, I, when I, because I'm not a big uniform guy, like, by and large, a uniform has to be either incredible or just really, really hideous for me to care one way or the other. Like, 
Hmm, that's that could make me care. Um, like by and large, I, I think a uniforms is just like, it's like a work outfit. It's like something that you, like if you work somewhere that had a requirement, you know, I used to wait tables at Chin Chin. I had to wear the all whites kind of sucked, but you know, it was my work uniform, but like the black side panels, I look at them and I just say, I don't see what the purpose of that is. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know what's being added here. No, I don't the purpose was we have to put black in every uniform now. Yeah, but like you can do that without, you could do that without socks. Yeah. I love black in uniforms. I actually think if you're looking to just cover your ass, trying to come up with a good new look and just want to play the odds, make it black. Yeah. It is I hard. Agree. It is hard to screw up a black uniform. It's hard to actually screw up adding black into a uniform. Those side panels are just too much. You could yeah. even make them purple. And like I've done that, and it looks good, like and purple so, with oh, like a yellow band and purple on yeah, the inside. Yeah, exactly. And like I, when the, when the uniforms first came out, and, and sorry for not sending it, it was years ago, but not years, it's two, three years ago. But um, you're young, Grant. That's a long time. It, exactly. Yeah, uh, I was just in elementary school not too long ago. Um, <laughs> uh, I redid the purple uniforms into a Hollywood Nights look, using the black and trying to make it look good and keeping the black side panels. And so I think it's just like the purple and then it's abruptly black and then it's just purple yeah. again. So it, they're yeah. awful. To me, it's, it's like, well, how do we work black into it and not be like invasive, but still it, be that's a great way of putting it. It's, it's invasive. It's it, the side panels look haphazard. Like they, like they look like the order was going out in like 30 minutes and they got a directive to add black somewhere. And they have like a bunch of black fabric. They're like, we don't know what to do with this. All right, just let's just make a bunch of side panels. We got half an hour before we have to ship this thing out. Like it just doesn't feel like they actually really it actually feels it exactly how the Clippers came up with their last set of jerseys. We've got a half hour to do this. Let's ship them out. I just want to say this before before we change topics. How do I know I'm right? You're right. Sabrina is right. I think the Lakers know because they wear those things now like once every four months. Like they like it's like the last it's the those purple jerseys now are the things that you put on when you run out of laundry. Like I Everything feel like that's how they treat those. So that's it. Okay. Dave's I got, I got right. one question. I got one question for Grant before we uh get into NBA Twitter and social media culture. Save the Lakers. Like Take okay. the Lakers out of this equation because we already know what your answer would be. Who has the best uniforms in the NBA? And who has the worst that isn't just a team that you hate? Oh, man. Um, like trying to keep it objective as opposed to... He actually sent me these. I asked him this question. He sent me these. <laughs> the, the, are those the city jerseys for the Pelicans? Those are, yeah, those are the city jerseys. Um, God. I'll, I'll, I'll refrain. New Orleans been through no comment. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to say anything regret. No. Um, I, I just, I, I think those are my least favorite, um, out of every look in the NBA. I think as a whole NBA Twitter wasn't too big on every city look, um, throughout the NBA, but those I think were the clubhouse, like whatever in last place, it wasn't the clubhouse leader. So, um, I would say the worst, that's that's tough. I mean, I, I know a lot of people don't like the Thunder, and that's why I tried to like flip that and do something completely different. Um, uh, let's see. I do like the Blazers. I think they have like a very oh, yeah. classic look. Yeah, great. Blazers they don't have do great much for it. Change it up, and so I, I I like that a lot. Um, 
it's that's a good question because like I don't I don't try to like think too negatively like like you said about like the Lakers you don't like like to think negatively you like to like have the positive stories so um, I think the Spurs could do a lot more than like the yeah. monotone black silver and white um, <laughs> that feels like one of those instances where you really take on the culture of your coach. Because I can, I can promise you, Popovich does not give a shit what the uniforms look like. Yeah. If <laughs> like, anything, they're like, hey, what do you think? And it's like, like I, I don't care. When do you think the last time they ran this by Pop was? Like 2000? <laughs> like, 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 seriously. Like, Pop, Pop must be so indifferent to all that stuff. Yeah. No, I, I think we're on like me and pop are on opposite sides of the spectrum when it comes to the uniform stuff. So we wanted to talk with you also too, because uh, as you said, you're a big active uh, known member of, Oh wait, I forgot. Uh, we have a question from a uh, follower on Twitter at Echefagan, Echefagan. Not sure who that is. Um, said he wanted, said to ask Grant, about whether his crippling addiction to jersey swaps is ruining the NBA and the main reason ratings are down. One hundred percent, I take that responsibility and blame. Um, <laughs> I, know, I don't know who that joker is who sent that, but yeah, when when you wield the power um, that I do um, on a daily basis, you know, I think what is front of mind is just how can I make the basic NBA fans' day worse and make <laughs> the coverage about basketball just. The absolute poorest quality. No, um, Harrison uh, is the funniest guy, but I, I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of NBA Twitter where it's like, oh, talk about this guy, talk about this, talk about my guy, and um, like some people might not like your guy, so um, why well, talk about them? But uh, I I just. I think it's so funny how like that's such a big part of like the NBA ratings discussion when there's just like so many other factors in like that whole situation where like when when it comes down to the grand scheme of things, not that many people in the world are on Twitter and not that many people in the world are on Instagram compared to the people that are watching the games too. So, um, you know, I love Harrison, but um I'm not paying attention to anything he says for like the, the near future. <laughs> All right. Well, as you said, though, you are an active member of Lakers Twitter. You are a very known commodity on NBA Twitter in general. Like, how did you first enter this world? And when did it become apparent to you, like, this could actually be a career path for me? Yeah. Um, so I started with a site, and I, I think they still to this day produce like really great nba content lakers content and don't necessarily have the following that like other sites do but lakers outsiders is where i got my start and like there's some great friends that still work at the site and so i started um writing like stuff i like whether it was reports editorials editing other people's stuff like that's what i got my start doing i was in journalism class in high school and so um, from there, it went to live tweeting games and controlling the Twitter handle and like sort of learning the ropes on Twitter, what works, what doesn't. And, and thinking, wow, like, you know, I may have a knack at this and like, this is fun. I like this. And so um, from there, it went to silver screen and roll. From there, it went to form blown gold and back to silver screen and roll. So I through that little trip through Lakers Twitter. Um, like some people started following me, but like more than anything, I met some really great people, really smart people 
when it comes to the game of basketball, um, like Pete Zayas, uh, Darius Soriano, not Harrison Finn. a little much for me. Yeah, let's not overdo it. Okay. Everybody calm down. You know what? I was trying to uplift people, like we were saying before, but if I'm going to be honest, it's fine. Kick it. No, uh, it's still 2021. I mean, a little cynicism is fine. Yeah, I mean, he's a, yeah, he's a nice guy, but let's not go overboard. But, uh, you know, like it's it's interesting you talk about this stuff, like because Andy and I, you know, we we sort of have done stuff kind of throughout. Like we've tr- we've done video and video is like a thing. Like we've kind of tried these things as they come out. You, you know, people who are younger than us, people like you, have kind of grown up in this. Yeah. world of NBA Twitter and NBA Twitter and NBA social media, regardless of the, of the platform, at least from what I can tell is very different. It's like, it's a unique thing in sports. Mm-hmm. Like it drives stuff in, in, in basketball differently than the NFL doesn't have that in the same way. And major league baseball doesn't have mm-hmm. Twitter. Like that. what, why do you think it basketball has been so central, particularly for people who've grown up in like the social media age, um, in, in the way that it has. I, I think because I mean, more than anything, the game is accessible on social media. I mean, highlight when it comes to highlights, um, like they're everywhere. I mean, everywhere you look, um, whether it's ESPN or any any other company, it's highlights are on the feed, and people are able to grab a play, quote, tweet it, talk about it. And then that conversation continues below it. And like narratives begin to shape on Twitter and people talk about that. And sometimes players include like include themselves in the conversation. And I think um, I, I think the same is true for a lot of leagues, but the NBA in particular, NFL, too, is that players like acknowledge what's happening on Twitter. They're a part of the conversation. Um, they drive conversations. And so, um, like, I, I would say, like, the visibility of athletes has, like, gone up, you know, 100, 200% from, like, when there wasn't as big of a social media presence because, like, they know what people are talking about, like, the narratives, like, whether they admit it or not, sometimes it's on their mind. And, like, it influences, like, um, questions in press conferences, it uh, influences answers. And so, um, the accessibility of the game, I think, is like a huge thing of why uh, basketball Twitter like helps to like move that conversation and like continue conversations and create narratives. But uh, more than anything, it's it's like a, a big community um, for better or worse um, in some cases. Yeah, it can be both. I mean, there, there are times when I feel like NBA Twitter is the most awesome, fun you know, even if you don't follow basketball, you should be in this thing because yeah. it's entertaining. And then there are other times like, my God, why have I wasted so many years in this fucking cesspool? Like, I mean, like you can yeah. and you can feel that way. Both both spectrums. You can feel that way in the same day or yeah. sometimes like the same 20 minutes. That's exactly. true of social media generally. But yeah. I mean, it it just it's that it's that. It's it, it, and I, I, like and I think some of this comes from Andy and I. You know, when we've we've done this show, you know, we did however many episodes uh, when we were still with the station, and now we're we're actually and thank you everybody for for yes uh, for for the support in this. We are nearing 100 shows as an independent entity, which is both crazy um, and 
Um, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure what other adjectives are. <laughs> but the point is we've done and, and so like, you know, part of what we've tried to do is extend beyond the typical people that you see on, you know, a radio station or that might pop up for a TV appearance and find social media figures and people who are just really smart, interesting people. And the NBA is filled with these. Like you can't you you can't go too inches on the internet without finding a bunch of people who could come on and just be great guests yeah. around the NBA or you know culture and all that. I I don't know NFL Twitter like and, and baseball Twitter like, and we've asked people and they don't really know like it it's not the same, and I just it it really is amazing to me. Yeah, and I think I think it's because the NBA is so player centric, and like the NFL, um, for how much it may have changed in the last few years, but it's viewed as the no fun league, or like it's like it works against players sometimes. And like the MLB, I can go on about how like the game is like behind other leagues in terms of like putting players forward and like promoting back bat flips and like players talking back and forth because like that's passion and that's like love of the game. And I feel like that's defined so much different, so differently in like the, in baseball's like unwritten rules, like passion and love for the game, like that's changed. And so I think what the NBA does really well is like, they like are like player first in some scenarios. Like I won't say every scenario, but, um, and these players, like I said, are on Twitter and they can, and they're in these conversations and, um, they see what people are talking about. And so, um, like, not to say that there aren't NFL players on Twitter and MLB and, and whatnot, but I think the the NBA is a little bit more forward in in these players and, and promoting them and having them have fun and more than anything, yeah, just, like, not inhibiting that. Um, here's a... Uh throw up some of the some of the work that you've done uh first a couple that you made uh in tribute to kobe um it's very cool uh, really it's nice work oh, let me get this out of the way yeah Let's i appreciate that, that. yeah um i actually caught a little bit I, I did two versions of that i did a exactly i did an eight and i did a 24 and so in uh some areas i included some players and and others i did others but um in the, in the 24 version, Iverson wasn't in that. And that, and um, I, I think that's what caught the most heat. I mean, obviously, there was um, a tremendous positive response. And, you know, it really touched me to see something that I did um, represent Kobe and, and Gigi um, in some capacities, obviously a little less than Kobe in that picture. But um, just, like, symbolize, um, like, the competitor Kobe was and the competition that he had to go through. Um, whether it was with Shaq, without Shaq, with Pal, without Pal. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, when you stack it up against any other player, it's, I mean, it's just as fierce a competition. Um, and it shows how fierce of a competitor Kobe was. I think it encapsulates that a little better in the eight version, just because um, you see like the ferocity and the tenacity in his play style and um, how he really wasn't afraid of any of these guys. And, um, that's what I really wanted to showcase in these two pieces. And then uh, there, I like this one of LeBron. <laughs> after, after, I mean, it's it's striking, even though it's actually fairly simple in terms of what you're putting across. 
Yeah. Um, that I, I think, I mean, I, I think it's, I, it's not much of a competition when I stack it up to anything else I've done um, for work and personally, just because, like I said, like you said, it's, it's so simple, but the message gets across um, fairly easily and it's visually striking. Um, I did, I think I did like four different versions of that depending on his uniform. But um, I, I, I think just the emotion in that photo um, holding the title and uh, I tried to pay tribute um, where I could with like Kobe sneakers um, with the Lakers greats, the jerseys in the back. I didn't, I didn't notice. I don't know sneaker culture well enough to know that. That's yeah. That's a great detail though. That, and I guarantee the, the people who know that stuff would pick up on that. That's really cool. Yeah. But um, you know, it, I mean, more than anything, it's just, it's so surreal um, being able to see um, something I did uh, garner that sort of response and um, like positive feedback uh, I mean, it was, it's, I mean, obviously like I love basketball, I love the Lakers. And, and so for, for me to be even able to do that in this situation, the Lakers winning the title and, um, having that come into existence, um, it's just the coolest thing. And if people so, can't say, I mean, believe that's like you know, the, the screen grab there. It's like, like by like over a million, 1.1 million people. It's pretty cool. It's, I, I think, and don't quote me, but I think it's probably the second most liked photo uh, in ESPN's Instagram. So um, that's that's a badge of honor for me, for sure. Where, well, between Where, that and getting the uh, the black side panels thing right, you are really on a roll. Real, real quick with, with this, um, the looks like mist or or clouds kind of surrounding LeBron. What? What's the thought process behind that, or what? What are you looking specifically to communicate with that? I'm just a dramatic person, so if I can, <laughs> um, you best believe I'm going to do it. Um, and he's looking for some sort of deep symbolism there. Like, that's just a cool effect. Just, yeah, um, make it make it dramatic. You know, add, add something to where it's like it it adds to the photo and doesn't like make it over the top. So you you describe it as we were talking about. You you mentioned like you almost put it on like a business card. Like I Photoshop a lot of stuff. Um, when you see all the Bernie memes this week of like Bernie sitting, like, <laughs> is this just like a big week for Photoshop? Do you, re- like, you know, how- yeah, it's so funny. Cause, uh, uh, one of my friends, Jacob Brood, he like has done work with Lakers outsiders. He's at Lonzo wire, uh, Lakers SBN on Twitter, Silverman role. Um, he said like, it was reminiscent of like throwback Twitter where like they would get a picture and then they would just Photoshop it into everything and it reminded me of like reddit like how they have photoshop battles and so i didn't actually get to like take part in that uh but like the the thing i wanted to put bernie in was like you know the gif of the wrestler sting from wcw Mm -hmm. where it pans out and he's sitting in the rafters alone that's the one that i wanted to put bernie in I saw the one from uh, I think is it Eastbound and Down where you know he takes the 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 folding chair and like throws it out and puts it down <laughs> with Bernie one. in it, like he undoes the folding chair and Bernie's sitting in it and puts it down. Like that one was brilliant. Like I don't that, know how you. I mean, it's one thing to do a still Photoshop, do a moving Photoshop. It's very impressive. Yeah, that that takes talent for sure. This might be a super esoteric question, but I, I want to ask anyway, just because you're in this world, something like this that becomes like this explosion over 48 hours like where do you think it starts and like in particular like how do you think it snowballs like and why does it work i i've 
I've got some thoughts on it, but I'm curious what you think first. Yeah, like, why does Bernie? Why does Bernie sitting in a folding chair with his mittens and his jacket blow up like that? I think because a lot of people like try to like relate to that moment and be like, oh, like this is when like I'm at a party, but I didn't drive and I want to go home. <laughs> and, um, and people like think about that and they think about just like memes in general. And I think um, like talking about meme culture, it's like oh, well, how can I uh, put this into something popular and like put my own twist on it? At least that's how I think. How can I put my own twist on it and do something different? Um, I, I think just snowballs from there. They, somebody can just see one person do it and they're like, oh, like it sparks an idea in their head and it turns into their own thing, which turns into another person's thing and snowballs from there. But um, like that's that's some of my favorite internet moments is like, when people rally around like one moment and it becomes like the talk of Twitter and like everybody's talking about it, everybody's interacting um, and retweeting, liking, whatever um, they're doing. Uh, it's just, it's like the funniest thing. And like you laugh every time because yeah. like it's still funny. Well, I think it works. It my, although my wife said she's over it. I'm, I keep showing her pictures and she's like, please stop. I'm like, no, no. They're, they're still funny. They are funny to me every time. I'm still in it. Um, I well, there. It's really. An, I mean, I think part of the reason it works is it's so random and innocuous. I mean, it's just it, it's an old man sitting in cold with big ass mittens. Yeah, but like, it, and, and it's Bernie. You know, Bernie Sanders is obviously a you know a, a polarizing politician, and it's in his own right. I mean, he's very far left. And I, without commenting on his politics, I'm just saying he's somebody that elicits a reaction. But he is doing something so non-reactive it's it's hilarious it's i mean in a lot of ways it actually reminded me of the meme of trump with the kid in the lawnmower which like you know trump obviously is as reactive a politician in like i don't know maybe american political history or modern american political history but that moment is global history right but that moment is so like kind of just benign like you know he's not really yelling at this kid like it, it just yeah. it it's really funny like it's it's been repurposed in ways that are political but the i think a lot of times when these things take off it's from things that actually are just so random and ridiculous they that they can just become random and ridiculous in any setting yeah for sure and i think it's, it's funny that you mentioned that one Trump lawnmower picture and, and the Bernie one, because I feel like those are two things like those two still moments, like feel so true and authentic to the person that's in the photo. Yeah, like, I feel like that aligns so closely to like Bernie Sanders personality and oh, like yeah. Trump's personality. And so um, like, I feel like that in itself, like elicits a response. And so, yeah, it's uh, perfect. I mean, Trump is not yeah. literally yelling at that kid because then it totally wouldn't cool. be funny. But you know that he yells a lot. <laughs> like yeah. it's, it has been well documented. He's a yeller. So yeah. it fits his personality, even if he's doing something that isn't objectionable in that moment. Yeah, 100 percent. And I think that's why people like uh, like take like put their attention towards it and like feel like they have to include themselves in the moment just because like it's what's going on. And it, and like I said, like. It, it like it feels like it lines up so perfectly with the photo and 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 more than anything like it's an easy photo to plug into like different spots so um you know i'm i'm all for people uh 
going for it and and, and putting their own work in and, and posting it on Twitter because um, not everything goes off and, and goes viral. So, um, you know, I, I always love when, when people have those moments. Yeah, dude, you uh, know what, though? The ease in which it can be dropped in many different ways. Hmm. You know, you chop them in half and you can be lying on the floor. You put them like I, I like the one in the roller coaster. I think that one's yeah. really good. You know, the one with him sitting with Woody Allen on the bench is really funny. I mean, they're, yeah. they're just, but it's a very manipulatable photo. It was really funny. I saw, um, I don't remember which political writer, they, one of the many follow on Twitter, but said like, all right, the next person that posts the Bernie meme uh, after like midnight tonight Eastern is going to prison. And Josh Barrow, a different political writer that I follow and like, uh, tweeted the Bernie meme, but he's in Oz. The HBO <laughs> prison show. It was awesome. <laughs> and it works. He's just sitting there with those guys. Yeah. His mittens, his mask. Totally his right. My favorite one, I think, and it's because I've done like one uh photoshops with Larry David sitting on the bench. Like when there was that awkward moment of LeBron sitting away from the team in Indiana when they were getting blown out plugging Larry David in between that. And then when Rondo like had sort of the same thing sitting like away from the team, putting him in there. And so seeing Bernie Sanders sitting next to Larry David at a basketball game <laughs> was my favorite one for sure. It's just, it's just funny. And like, it's so frivolous and like, it's nice to laugh about stupid, meaningless things. I also grant like this one that you did. Uh, of Jimmy <laughs> Butler in the Santa and, and it was, when you just finished delivering presents all night, like that works. That's really funny. Like it's straightforward, but it's funny. You know what? Like that's like, that's the biggest thing. And like, I'm, I'm like never one again strategy, but like, like I said earlier, like I'll do things that I think is funny and like, I hope that other people like, but I'll never do something that I don't like. And I don't like have faith in. And so like that, that meme I think was so funny. Cause like you, you more than anything, you want to be in the holiday spirit and you want to, you want to do something relevant. And so um, like what better than that moment? Because like from, from that moment when the picture dropped, like it was sort of similar to like the Bernie Sanders meme, except like people weren't cutting them out, but everybody had a caption for that. And so, right. Uh, yeah. It's just, it's, it's another way to stay relevant. And so it's just a, a fun thing to do. I mean, look, let's be honest, man. Santa must be exhausted. When when that when that night is over, like that, that has to be just taxing. It's because usage brutal. rate is through the roof. Yes, it is. He absolutely does. He's he's, he's high usage, but also high per. He's been yeah. doing this for a long time. Never been spotted. Um. So as mentioned before, we got the game for you. And uh, in thinking about a game, I originally was going to do uh, trivia about Goldberg the wrestler, uh, sharing your name, except. Except, actually, I saw a tweet of yours that made me think that you might be familiar with Goldberg. And I know yeah. Brian isn't. So this would have been a really unfair game. So, therefore, I just have trivia questions about all sorts of things that either involve gold or ha people have gold in the name, that sort of thing. But yeah. uh, no Goldberg the wrestler. Uh, you'll both get to answer these questions. You'll trade off. Brian's going to take the first one. Then you'll answer. Then the second one, you go first. Brian answers, and we continue. According to history.com, this is the first question. What was the value of all the gold discovered during the California gold rush? 
$1 billion, $2 billion, $3 billion, or $4 billion? Brian goes first. In today's money or their money? They did not say. specify. I'm going to say $3 billion. Grant. I'll say four. It is actually $2 billion oh. uh, extracted from the area during the gold rush, which peaked in 1852. According to AP... Yes, I feel like it's been all downhill since. According to APMEX.com, the world's largest online retailer of precious metals, what is the current price of gold per ounce? Over or under $2,000 an ounce? Grant goes first. Over or under... $2,000 an ounce. I'll say under. I think it's under. It is under $1,871.30 uh, as of today. This was actually updated. Uh, so that is the price of gold per ounce, one to one. What year was banking giant Goldman Sachs established? 1821, 1854, 1869, or 1900? Brian goes first. 1869. Um, can you repeat the first two? 1821, 1854, 1869, or 1900? 1821. Oh, it's 1869, Grant. Uh, founded by Marcus Goldman in 1882, he brought in his son-in-law, Samuel Sachs, as a partner. Samuel's father... Joseph Sachs was one of Goldman's oldest friends going back to their days in Germany. I did so, not know that. I did not know that either. Uh, two to one, Brian. According to the American Kennel Club, what is the origin country for golden retrievers? England, Russia, Denmark, or Scotland? Grant goes first. England, Russia, Denmark, Scotland. I'll say Denmark. Brian. I was going to say Denmark too, but I'm going to, I'll pick something different. I will say, say they, if you have a British feel to me, I'll go with England. No, it's actually Scotland. Uh, for years, uh, there had been stories floating around that it descended from Russian circus dogs, but this theory was debunked when the records of Lord... Not Andy, Andy also descended from Russian circus dogs. <laughs> Lord Tweedmouth of Inverness. Uh, those records were released, and Lord Tweedmouth Mouth purchased a yellow retriever and bred him with the liver-colored water tweed spaniel named Bell. That's how the golden retriever was launched. I should have so half a point one. for being on the island, but that's no, okay. No, 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 no. The movie Fool's Gold reunited Matthew McConaughey and Kate Hudson, the two stars of How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Which movie was a bigger hit domestically? How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days or Fool's Gold? Brian goes first. Hit is relative. I will say How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. I will also say How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. It was How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, 105 domestic versus Fool's Gold. That movie years. made $105 million. Why do you think they reunited Matthew McConaughey and Kate Hudson? They're not going to reunite him if it was a flop. I didn't, but there's a difference between flop and $105 million for that. I you did know. not know that. It's good. Made yeah, made $105 million. What famous film was Jeff Goldblum's big screen debut? Uh, Grant, do you know who Jeff Goldblum is? Yes, very, very, very popular in the Goldbrick household. <laughs> Excellent. Glad to hear that. Uh, which famous film was his big screen debut? You know, the and guy from the apartments.com commercials, you know, whoever. You know, <laughs> the guy on the, the, the show. <laughs> uh, Annie Hall, Nashville, the Robert Altman film, 
Death Wish or the remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers with Donald Sutherland? Annie Hall, Nashville, Death Wish, hmm. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Brian goes first. Um, I will say Death Wish. I will say Nashville. Oh, it's Death Wish. He played Freak number one. Um, also, Train Mugger number one was the great veteran character actor Saul Rubinek. Uh, a lot of people actually in Death Wish, but uh, that was his debut. Four to two, Brian. I was once in a play in high school where I had three lines, five costume changes, and four <laughs> roles, all of which had numbers, none of which lower than three. So, that just very putting that out there. What movie did Goldie Hawn win the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor? Sugarland Express. Swing Shift, Shampoo, or Cactus Flower? Sugarland Express, Swing Shift, Shampoo, Cactus Flower. Grant goes first. Sugarland Express. I believe it's Shampoo. No, it's actually Cactus Flower. She played the girlfriend of Walter Matthau in a decided case of a movie <laughs> character. <laughs> a movie character outkicking his coverage. Walter Matthau was probably 73 when that movie was made. Jesus, yeah, that's inappropriate. That, Goldie Hawn was like 12. That was not going to happen uh, often. The song Gold Digger by Kanye West makes prominent use of a sample of I Got a Woman by Ray Charles. True or false? Grant will go first. I Got a Woman is a cover. True or false? I Got a Woman is a cover. I will say false. I will say true. Every song back then was a cover. No, it is false. Uh, Ray oh, Charles oh, wrote the song, and it was his first big hit, number one on the R&B charts. Last question. Uh, Brian is up 4-3, but Grant, total coincidence, this last question's worth two. So you actually have the opportunity to come back and win. Your lucky night. Um, on so no many levels. No surprise, but Meryl Streep holds the record for most Golden Globe nominations in film for an actor or actress. She has 29, which is staggering. Who has the second most nominations in film of an actor or an actress Golden Globe nominations? And the four people I'm about to name are for real the next four behind her. Al Pacino, Jack Nicholson, Jack Lemmon, or Shirley MacLaine? Pacino, Nicholson, Lemon, or McLean. Brian goes first. Correct. Who does the per? I will say Pacino for Golden Globes. I'll say Pacino. I will say Nicholson, just in the Laker spirit. The Laker spirit has fueled you to a win, Grant. He has seventeen Golden Globe nominations, which puts him. This next highest behind Meryl Streep, uh, behind him, Jack Lemon with 16, Pacino with 15, and Shirley MacLaine with 14. So, <laughs> congratulations. Well, great. It was great to have you. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Um, <laughs> you can go now. Walter <laughs> Matthau. The, you. The, you. Comeback, the comeback needed to happen because I would face serious backlash if I lost in front of all of my friends watching. Well, there you have it, man. We are... Proud to make you a winner in front of all your fans, man. This was fun. Uh, keep uh, it's great having you on. Great meeting you, actually. And we, you know, we've liked your work for. <laughs> we we've enjoyed your work, man. So thank you. No, I appreciate that. You know, was, I, I had a blast, and you know, it was great getting to meet you guys and and, and talking for this last hour and change. Cool. 
Excellent. That's nice of you to say. Uh, we have some really fun shows scheduled over the next uh, week or so. And actually, this is like a, the salad days of the late night happy hour. We've got some good stuff scheduled for two weeks, like not just next week, but the week following, uh, which we'll tell you about soon. Tomorrow night, though, we'll get back. Uh, we'll stay, actually, I should say, with the NBA, Andy Lou and Sam Esfendiari from uh, you know up north, all the, the fantastic uh, Bay Area coverage they do there and podcasting and all that. They will be on the show uh, tomorrow, Law Murray, the newest uh, Clippers beat writer with the Clipper, uh, or the, sorry, with the Athletic, will come on Monday. Ben Taylor, who has done a just really, really cool series on players at their peak. Uh, he's got Kobe in there. He's got Magic, Bird, all kinds of really cool players. So we'll, we'll talk to him on Tuesday. And then Wednesday, if you're a fan of the show, You're the Worst, which is one of the funniest shows on TV for a very long time. Uh, the creator, Steve Falk, and the, and the lead, Chris Gear will be joining us on Wednesday. So a lot of great shows yeah, they, coming up. They, they've got a fundraiser coming up where the entire cast and like all the supporting ca- characters, basically like everybody, is getting together to do a reading to raise money for food banks. So that that's going to be a lot of fun, and we want to help them promote it and just talk some TV and stuff like that. They're funny dudes. Uh, Steve's a really good friend of ours, so that should be a lot of fun. A great show is coming up, and we will see everybody tomorrow night, 10 p.m. Thanks again to Grant Goldberg, and we'll uh, talk to you tomorrow. Donkey Needle on. <laughs>